sports has given me a really great opportunity to advocate for the LGBTQ community. It's been, you know, one of my biggest passions and driving forces as an athlete. It's, you know, one of the reasons why I get out of bed every day, not only to excel and practice my art of soccer, but I think as well using that platform to make change. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, activism, all different kinds of things around the world of sports. I'm Joe Favorito and my co-host back once again, Tom Richardson. Tom, how are you? Hey, Joe, what's going on? Um, It feels like we're we're doing podcasts every couple of days, doesn't it? We've been on this roll of doing a lot of shows, but they're always fun and there's a ton to talk about. Um, So it was a tough, we were doing this on the Monday after the conference championships in the NFL, but there's also a big soccer match uh, this weekend as part of the World Cup qualifiers. I was just joking before we were sort of recording that I had to watch the U.S. game against Canada, U.S. men's national team in Spanish, although I do not speak Spanish. Um, it was a good result for Canada, not a great result for the U.S., um, but we've got another one coming up this week. By the time this podcast gets published, mm. I guess uh, we will know a lot more about the U.S. team's situation as they head into the third round, I guess, what is that, March uh, yeah. for, the, for the last few games. Anyway, it was, it was a little bit of a conflicting day for, for sports viewing because um, there's a lot going on. Football and football. Lots of yeah, football. football and football. Two and, and, and the day actually started, for those who are listening relatively recently, with turning on your television at 7 a.m. to watch Rafa Nadal make Oh, my God, I completely forgot that. That's how I started my day, yeah. In fact, Joe, I thought I was going to be turning on ESPN to watch yeah. the highlights. <laughs> and then I realized the game was still going. They were, I think when I turned it on, it was four hours in. You, you saw yeah. what an amazing, I hope you got a chance to watch it live. It was spectacular. It was great. Yeah. It was great. And uh, I give him a lot of credit. People, you know, now that he's Rafa 21 and is ahead of uh, Djokovic and um, Roger Federer. And by the way, his two best events are coming up with the French and with yeah. Wimbledon, they may not catch him at this point. So yeah. he may keep going. I hope he does. Anyway, so great guy. See, one, one more point on that. Did, did you yeah. see the Axios chart? I think it was in uh, Kendall Baker's uh, Axios, mm-hmm. uh, not Axios, um, what do you call yeah, his morning Axios. newsletter? Yeah, Axios uh, is Axios. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, that chart of uh, that color-coded infographic mm-hmm. of the last like 19 or 20 years of the slams in tennis, so mm-hmm. Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, it was, it's a crazy way to see the dominance just in one great infographic. So if anybody yeah. uh, gets a chance, people who are interested to get a chance, it's, it's a great way to, uh, to remind ourselves of the brilliance of these three tennis players. And Nadal is so likable. Um, I think he almost surpassed my, uh, my admiration for Federer yeah. yesterday by how well he did. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. And dominance, by the way, um, we're taping this in the afternoon on January 31st, and I just saw a message that uh, Tom Brady on his Sirius XM show tonight will have something to say. So <laughs> I wonder what that would be. Uh, so, yeah, anyway. uh, I'm getting tired of that. Let's move on yeah. to the next, anyway. the next generation of quarterbacks. So um, speaking of next generation and soccer and Canadian dominance, uh, as you know from time to time, for those who listen to the show, we love to have some of our current and former students on. And we're gonna start that off today 
with one of our students. And then we're gonna to go to a little bit of a twist. Um, but someone who's very familiar to soccer, very familiar to branding. She spent the first uh, semester for better or for worse as one of my students, which was probably for the worse, but she's also been doing a lot of our social uh, and has a really interesting career journey to this point too. And then we're gonna pick up her personal journey as well. But uh, Jillian Quinn, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thank you, that was quite an intro. Um, it's nice to, to be here and to share my journey a little bit. Yeah, Jillian, why don't you take us through, um, you've had a really unique career on the branding side, but also as an elite uh, soccer player, uh, a little bit of a hint, uh, you are one of a twin, twins, um, speaking of elite uh, soccer players, but, but kind of take us to how you got here today. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, originally from Toronto, as you mentioned, Canadian, important part in uh, my journey and, and my identity, definitely. Um, grew up playing kind of every sport under the sun. Um, soccer and basketball were the two that stuck the most and played basketball through my high school career. But um, soccer was what I was playing at the highest level. Um, went through crazy recruiting, grade 10, grade 11. Um, looked at a lot of the Ivy Leagues, not Columbia, unfortunately, but we got here eventually. Um, and I ended up at Northeastern playing on the Division One soccer team there, where I um, was in the undergraduate business school, which really kind of kickstarted my career in marketing on, and on the branding side. Um, I was a marketing and finance major, but uh, Northeastern has a really great co-op program where I was able to get some awesome work experience undergrad, worked at um, a couple different companies in different um, industries, which really made my love for the sports industry stick. I did my first co-op at Puma, um, so right in the in the sports world. And then the other two were uh, a little bit different. But then right after graduation, I started working at New Balance, which was a dream to work for kind of a key athletic brand. Um, I was in the marketing side on the Canadian team, running our athlete program on sports marketing, and then also working with our PR team, um, kind of landing some things for the athletes and also just our generic kind of brand promos. And I was there for three years, all through the pandemic. So 2018 to 2021, um, went through all the waves of the pandemic, all the marketing budgets being cut back, trying to figure out what we were gonna do with nothing. And then 2021 rolled around and I started thinking about what's next. You know, pandemic seemed like it wasn't going away. New Balance wasn't growing a whole lot on the Canadian side. And that's when I started thinking about coming back um, to school, going into this program specifically. I'd always had my eye on, on this program in Columbia and New York. And um, a big element of that too was, was wanting to learn more about all the movement going on in social justice and, and athlete activation, which Len Elmore's class was a big draw for me as well, which I was able to take in the fall, which was amazing. Um, learning more about the history of athlete activism and how it's going to be going forward. Um, and so I, I decided to take the leap and apply in the spring of 2021 and got in, was super excited. I actually attended my first info session after I got in <laughs> to, to see how um, I wanted to move forward and, and ended up coming to the program. So I started fall, as you mentioned, Joe, fall of 2021 going into my second semester now I'm fortunate enough to be in Tom Richardson's class now really excited for that one all about digital marketing and media um, but 
the activism side was, was a huge pull for me, learning more about that space and how I can work in that space in the industry going forward. Um, yeah. Amazing. Um, Joe, how did you, the, the way, um, the way our students, as they come up, especially if they come from a sports background, kind of experience their growth originally as athletes and eventually academically going to college and things like that. It's, it's always really interesting to see how they kind of have that certain points. Many of them have that aha moment where they want to get in the business. And I can't, you know, Julian, I just want to do a quick follow-up on that. So when you were at, when you were playing um, elite level sports, soccer in college, I mean, did you actually think proactively about wanting to be in the sports business and going beyond the, the playing fields to actually be on the business side? Is that something that registered with you? Definitely not. I definitely wasn't thinking that far ahead kind of early on, um, but sports had been my whole life until that point. Um, playing, you know, all of the school sports along with all of the sports outside of school and high school, it was everything I did, we did, me and my twin, which we'll learn more about a little bit later. Um, we were just going from practice to practice on the weekends and credit to my parents for driving us <laughs> everywhere. Um, and it wasn't something that I was thinking about proactively in a sense. I learned that I liked marketing through the business school. And then once I um, actually had an opportunity to work in a couple different of industries, I was at Wayfair um, doing paid media and, and advertising and then Bose, so high tech company. Um, and that's where I really learned that, that sports is where I wanted to be. I always wanted to be on the sports side of both when they were doing with their athletes. Um, that was what interested me the most. And those co-ops are a great opportunity to kind of, they always push you to see what, what else you're interested with in those companies. And that's where I was always naturally leaning. And I, it was what I knew best, honestly, rather than any other industry. Um, and I wanted to sell sports in my life because after graduation, once you're no longer a college athlete, if you're not going pro, that's kind of it other than watching it. Uh, I joined a women's basketball league, but, but I still had that craving to, to be on the sports side and have that in my everyday work and in my life. And, and I felt like it was, it was what I knew the best. So that's, that's where I leaned into it with New Balance and, and where I will continue to lean into it after this program. Cool. Um, so Tom, we're going to uh, pivot a little bit because uh, Jillian's career and her journey. And, and we've talked about how we've tried to do for better or worse story corp for sports. And, and there's, there's a unique personal combined with professional um, elite level journey that, that Jillian is a very unique part of. And why we say that, and she hinted at it before is uh, Jillian is a twin uh, and Jillian's twin, again, <laughs> is quite an elite athlete. Um, Without, without kind of going into everything, I, I want to let Jillian kind of lead it. But um, so our second guest today that we're going to kind of listen in is Jillian's going to lead us, uh, is Jillian's twin. And Quinn, by the way, played at Duke, not a bad school, both academically or, or athletically. And, and I believe was the first Canadian soccer player uh, to play at, um, at Duke. Um, had quite a run uh, during the Olympics as part of the, the Canadian women's soccer team last year, um, now playing NWSL. Uh, but there's also a personal journey uh, that we want to touch on. And Jillian touched on activism and why it's important to her. Uh, uh, so before uh, we kind of continue on 
down a different path. I want to have Jillian, uh, first of all, Quinn, welcome to the CUSP show. Uh, and Jillian, why don't you kind of lead us a little bit uh, on the journey that, that we would like to discuss and let people know a little bit more about. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I guess, Jill, you're leading this one. Um, but yeah, I just want to say I appreciate you having me on. I'm really excited. Yep. Thanks for joining and us. I will say now, good luck to all your listeners. We've heard our entire life that our voices are very similar. So um, good luck differentiating <laughs> us. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned, athlete activism was a big part of me going back to school. And Quinn was a huge part of that. I've watched them grow you know, through college and their professional career and grow as a person and as a soccer player. Um, and it has a huge influence on my life and my family's life. And, um, and growing up a twin, I, I tell everyone this, it, it greatly affected how I interact with other people. And, you know, I grew up with a built-in best friend. That's what we call it, or our womb mate. Um, someone that's with you through literally everything and understands everything you're going through. Um, so we're best friends. And so we've gone Quinn has gone through this journey, but we've also gone through it um, together. And Quinn, I don't know if you want to get into the details or you want me to, but you can talk a little bit about Duke and, and, and your professional career after that, being drafted third overall in the NWSL draft, highest by a Canadian. Um, some crazy soccer accomplishments, accomplishments there along the way. So, Yeah, I can dive a little bit into my own journey, um, kind of paralleling off of yours. Um, it's really similar in some senses too, as Jill mentioned, um, we were very active athletes growing up. We played every single sport under the sun from, I think I love to mention that we were in three different types of dance growing up, um, <laughs> in addition to all of the sports that we played. Uh, so that was definitely a huge component of our lives. And Jill and I played on the same teams growing up, which I think was the biggest joy to our parents and not having to shuttle us in different directions, but also was so much fun. Um, the two of us. Uh, we played soccer together and basketball together, and we've always played different positions, but we've had the same competitive spirit. I think we're some of the two most competitive people in the world, <laughs> even though Jill doesn't like to admit it. Um, but yeah, so we both had our similar journeys in sports growing up, and then we both went the same direction of wanting to play soccer in the NCAA. I myself went to, to Duke, um, a little bit further south than Jill, but um. I played uh, on the soccer team there. We went to two final fours, unfortunately losing both times. So it's a bit of a sore spot. Um, but yeah, and then I went and majored in biology, a pre-med major. And so a little bit of a different direction from Jill. I think that's, you know, a testament to our polar opposite as, as well. But um, yeah, so I played uh, soccer there and I always had my eyes set on the professional leagues um, throughout my college experience. It was a pretty natural transition seeing my college athletes being drafted towards the NWSL and then as well my Canadian national team teammates. I've been on the national team since I was 18 and so seeing them playing in their professional leagues um, throughout my college experience that seemed like a pretty natural transition for me. Um, so then I ended my career at Duke and was drafted third to um, the Washington Spirit in DC, which was a great opportunity for me because I was actually still finish, finishing up my college classes so I could shuttle between Washington DC and Durham, North Carolina. Um, and then I ended up uh, wanting a different experience. So I went abroad to Paris um, for six months and I played overseas and I think it was a great experience to see you know different types of soccer and different uh, professional environments. But um, after that I was I was missing the United States 
the United States, which I guess is now my new home, um, and went over to Seattle, Washington, which is where I am today. And I've been playing on the NWSL team here for the past, wow, three years now. This is going to be my fourth season. Um, so that's kind of been my professional journey. And then I've been on the national team, as I mentioned, since I was 18, um, which is, oh my gosh, it's eight years now. <laughs> and uh, I've had the fortunate opportunity to go to the Rio Olympics and win a bronze medal there. I went to the 2019 World Cup in France. And then just this past year, uh, the Tokyo Olympics, um, our team won a gold medal. So that's kind of my soccer professional journey. And I think, you know, important part about that and, you know, a huge part about my journey is my own personal experiences. Um, I identify as transgender. I use they, them pronouns. Um, and sports has given me a really great opportunity to advocate for the LGBTQ community. It's been, you know, one of my biggest passions and driving forces as an athlete. It's, you know, one of the reasons why I get out of bed every day, not only to excel and practice my art of soccer, but I think as well using that platform to make change and understanding the, the real life changes I can be as a as a role model in the sporting community. And so I think that's personal journey and that that kind of lines up with my professional career. So that's a little bit about myself. Testament to, uh, to you, Quinn, and everything you mentioned about, about being driven by things that aren't just soccer related. Our parents also always um, instilled that in us being you know, well-rounded people and having different motivations. So what, what Quinn also failed to mention is they're in a, a business program now. So going back on those polar opposites, they're doing a part-time business program, um, maybe have their eyes set on grad school after a soccer career finishes up. But um, you know, you're always working on other things as well, always have other things going on. And also involvement on the Canadian side from a from a players association side and being you know working with the Olympics as well um, what's going on on that side too um, you're definitely someone that that bites off a lot and sees if you can chew it which you're doing a great job at but um, if you want to talk I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit more um, about the Olympic experience especially Rio and coming in at Rio being younger and then four years later or I guess five years later with um, the delay of Tokyo and how that changed from a, from a soccer perspective, from a team perspective, um, you know, your dynamics going through that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think I had really different experiences between if I parallel Rio with Tokyo. Um, I had been on the team for actually um, a couple of years when I went to Rio, but that being said, I still felt like I was a pretty new face on the team and I wasn't taking much ownership of, you know, the team's success. Um, personally, um, I wouldn't say that I was just along for the ride, but I definitely felt like I had a little bit more of a supporting role at times through that. Um, I mean, like any first Olympic experience, it's, it's incredibly exciting and it's such a unique situation from like being in a dining hall of thousands of just the top athletes in the world. I think it's bizarre every single time you walk across like the Olympic village and you see someone that you've admired for the past 10 years, just standing right in front of you. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a lot of shock moments there. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty surreal experience. We actually won our bronze medal off of the Brazilian national team and the Olympics obviously was in Brazil. And so I just remember that anthem playing right before our final match and not even being able to like hear myself 
think. I don't think I've ever had that much noise in my vicinity in my life, but hearing the Brazilian anthem and like 40,000 fans screaming the Brazilian anthem, it was just like a wild experience that's, you know, going to be kept with me forever. Um, and then that complete contrast to the Tokyo Olympics, where there was absolutely no fans. Um, I think I've gotten used to playing in front of fans for the past five years or so. And so having one of the most, you know, important sporting experiences for yourself and having absolutely no fans was just such a weird, bizarre contrast um, for me. And then obviously the stressors of everything COVID, you know, from I think for two months being in my professional environment where, you know, folks on my team are going out to restaurants, they're being responsible, but they were trying to live their lives as well. And understanding that at any moment, if you had caught COVID that your Olympic dreams were going to, were going to come to an end. And so I think that definitely played like such a significant role. And we saw that in media and whatever else, but uh, that was such a unique experience and all the stress surrounding it. Hey, Quinn, can I ask about the, the difference between the, the feeling you get playing like in a World Cup versus an Olympics? Because obviously there, there's different context around it. And I'm, I'm curious. this every week, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah, I've never asked Joe this. Um, I'm just curious about that because, you know, you get, you get a sense that certain athletes really love the Olympics. Others, maybe not so much, um, especially for the pro athletes uh, in the U.S. sometimes. Um, and then World Cup just seems like it's such a, there's such a buzz and it's such a global phenomenon as an event. What, what's the difference? What, what, what's it feel like? What are the differences? Yeah, they actually are very different. And surprisingly, that's not a question I get asked a lot. I think for me growing up and growing up in Canada specifically, um, the Olympics was the thing that I knew about first. I remember like in grade one writing what I wanted to be when I was older in my little notebook. It was like being on the Olympic podium. I don't think there really was much of a mention on the World Cup. Um, that being said, I still like growing up, I can remember in grade four, the world, the men's World Cup was going on and I kept like World Cup trading cards in my desk. So I definitely still had a good understanding of what the World Cup was and I was following along with it. But I still think like soccer in Canada at the time, it was hard to watch you know, professional soccer on TV or watch the World Cup. And so I think for me, like growing up, it was watching the Winter Olympics more specifically and cheering on the Canadian hockey team. And so that definitely had a very specific place in my heart. Um, so I think they're, they're such unique tournaments and they both, you know, they both have so much significance to me, but it's true. I think the Olympics is something that everyone talks about, everyone knows about, um, regardless of the sport that you're in. And so I think that's really important. And then if you're a soccer snob, um, you think the World Cup is the, is the best event in the world by landslide. And so <laughs> I think there's some good joy in competing to that as well. Thanks. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to ask a question for, to the two of you about the personal journey, because uh, Quinn, you made history during the, the, during the Tokyo Olympics. Um, because of, of all the stances that you've taken and who you are. Um, when did the two of you, did, did it come out in conversations beforehand saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to announce this, we're going to be more public, and, and were you ever worried about the way it was going to be? Jillian, how did you support Quinn uh, in the way um, they've made decisions? Uh, and then as it played out, were you pleased with the way it turned out? It, it seems like it's turned out tremendously positive, but like being twins, was it, what was it like as opposed to just, you know, what your parents may have gone through or your friends have gone through? 
Yeah, I can touch on it from from my side. Um, obviously, Quinn has a, a different experience than I do, but as I mentioned before, you know, we're best friends at the core of it. Um, you know, I've known probably longer than a lot of people, and and I think I edited that Instagram post before it went out to the to the public. Uh, I I constantly ask Quinn if they'll hire me as their social media manager um, because I do a lot of social media managing on that side regardless. <laughs> but um, you know, we've been through it all together. I would say, um, and and I've been there every step of the way, um, frequent FaceTime calls and and Instagram editing and photo editing and whatnot. Um, but as Dex was saying with the Olympic dream, um, we had an Olympic themed birthday party when we were, I think five and, and Quinn's in a Olympic full Olympic gear. And I'm in a bright pink dress, not on theme at all. You know, we've had differences from the beginning. Um, so I think when it all came together, it wasn't, um, you know, out of the blue for me. And so it was easier to digest through, through all of it and, and to be by their side. And it's been a huge education for me too. It wasn't, you know, the issue of, of transgender athlete inclusion in sports and, and intersex athletes not it wasn't at the forefront for me prior and so it's been a huge educational opportunity an opportunity for me to educate other people it's something I bring up a lot in class and and hope to get the conversation out there and, and especially when you're with some of the the future executives of the sports industry you know you want to get that that conversation top of mind and get them as educated as they can be as well and so it's been a, a real turning point in my life I'm sure turning point in Gwen's life too um but in terms of an allyship and and what we can be doing and how we can be doing it and, and just being there for them through everything Quinn yeah I mean as Jill said I think we're like polar opposites in some senses and <laughs> she alluded to that with her nice outfit choice for our little fifth birthday party but I think yeah like Jill I mean <laughs> treat them like Jill is cis and straight and I'm trans and queer and I think you know for us like even having different identities Jill has just given me like unconditional love and support through this whole process I remember when I was you know not out to anyone except for at the time Jill and my parents she was just like that touchstone for me um, throughout my life whether it was like sending me cookies from Boston to North Carolina the homemade cookies that she had sent in the mail and I don't think she paid express shipping so they're a little bit stale but uh, <laughs> it was just a thought like that that counts um, so yeah she's definitely been my biggest support for just simple things like that to you know running with her like what's the best way to come out to the world or is this social media post doing it justice um and so I think you know simple things like that to my Olympic experience although it was I think a really well-received incredible moment and a good moment for the LGBTQ community for myself personally it was a really difficult experience at times and you know the first person that I call on FaceTime is Jill when I'm going through those moments and so I think it's wow. just a testament of her support and just always being being there to like lend an ear um, and giving the support. When you guys made, it sounds like somewhat of a joint decision to work on this Instagram post, and I guess it was 2020, right? Um, and, and after it happened and you, you thought, especially this is, I guess, more of a question for Quinn, when you think about your quote platform, as a high profile uh, transgender athlete, how do you think about um, expanding or broadening that 
platform to tell the story more widely. I know you're involved with Athlete Ally, so maybe you could talk about that. But I guess Instagram is one lane you'd want to be in, and that's what you chose for, for the big announcement. Um, but what do you, do you have thoughts about that as, as you try to, to broaden this? Yeah, and I think, you know, with my own experience in um, discovering my own transgender identity, uh, I definitely lean towards social media and trying to get a sense of community. I know that um, social media was a huge change for the LGBTQ community and allowing people to connect online um, through their shared experiences. And so I think for me, that was something that was super helpful. Um, I connected with Chris Mosier and Harrison Brown, um, who are two trans activists in sport. And I think that them being able to share their experiences with me through social media was a huge help in my own personal journey. And so I think I've found it as a, as a way to, you know, give back that support as well and to be visible on social media. I think it, it can help folks in the community. Um, as I said, like one of the reasons I get up in the morning is, is to make an impact in the sports space. And that's one of the um, things that gives me the most joy is having young athletes reach out to me on socials and say that they've continued in sport or they've decided to sign up for their sport again after thinking that it was not going to be a space for them, but realizing that they actually had a space in sports. And so I think, um, yeah, it's just, it's such a great resource at times, obviously, um, it can be stressful and <laughs> Jill gives me good advice on that because I do think I have a large platform with it, but um, I think the outreach is just, it's great. Can you talk about Athlete Ally? Yeah, so Athlete Ally is an organization that I've been with um, or a part of since college. I actually remember my um, recruiting trip to Duke where I was looking at the school. I went to a guest speaker with the freshman class and it was actually the athlete ally head at the time um, giving a speech to the student athletes and how they were starting this chapter at Duke University that year. Um, and so athlete ally is um, an organization that helps promote LGBTQ inclusion in sports. Um, so I helped run athlete ally at Duke um, and trying to make the Duke sports space more inclusive. We helped run pride campaigns. And then as well, we tried to implement a transgender inclusion policy, which has had some pushback at times in <laughs> at Duke and in North Carolina. But um, yeah, we continue to try and make that space inclusive because I'm sure as you're all aware of, um, there's been a huge pushback on transgender youth in sports and the legislation that's come in to try and ban transgender youth in a variety of states throughout across the United States. Um, yeah, it's been definitely one of the, uh, I guess, focuses for Athlete Ally moving forward is making sure that there's there's an inclusive space for transgender youth to continue to participate in sports and to allow them to participate. So are there, are there actual uh, lobbyists or, or advocates that are working with government officials or trying to work with government officials on a federal or state basis to yeah. tell that story? Yeah. Okay. Could you talk about that? Um, yeah, so I think, um, Athlete Ally does work with lobbyists, um, to help, um, push that those, uh, laws don't get put into place. Um, but I think, you know, their biggest point is trying to move professional athletes, Athlete Ally ambassadors is what they call them, um, to be outspoken about these topics. And it's been one of the things that I've honestly, uh, that's frustrated me. And also a point that's given me hope is that, 
you know, there's such a huge argument and it's such a silly trope of like save women's sports. Um, and so I think for them, like it's mobilizing professional women in sports to say that transgender athletes and particularly trans feminine folks uh, to be included in sports. And so I think, you know, obviously that has the largest impact. If, you know, professional athletes are saying that transgender athletes should be allowed in sports, then mm -hmm at every level, <laughs> there really isn't an argument there. And so I think for them, it's mobilizing um, professional athletes to show an inclusive environment. Go ahead, Jillian. Yeah, um, you know, I admire everything Athlete Ally is doing and have supported Quinn through, through all of that. Um, it was unfortunate. Quinn actually won an award with Athlete Ally this, this fall and it was going to be in New York and the whole family was going to come and then it all was online, unfortunately. So that would have been a great um, experience for all of us together. I was just going to add from before that um, to make it clear that the support goes both ways. You know, I'm Bex Quinn, excuse me, is also my um, first FaceTime call for everything. I believe I dragged them on a half marathon once with no training that I was doing with New Balance and they, they got home like two days before in Toronto and we're like yeah sure I'll run a half marathon with you and we've done two since um together just through our neighborhood um I was also Quinn's uh coach surrogate coach for the beginning of the pandemic when we were trapped together going to find soccer fields anywhere that were open in the city um and facetiming their coaches go through drills and whatnot um but you know we've been at each other's sides through everything so they've been at my side just as much as I've been at theirs Jillian, I wanted to ask you, um, Quinn mentioned the post uh, that you came up with. What kind of research did you do and why did you decide that Instagram versus another place uh, was the right place to do it? it it's funny that, that Quinn mentioned how the social space can be helpful uh, when a lot of times people look at it, it's like, oh, that's the last place I want to be is to try and do something in social and the, the back, you know, the backlash that you would get. So tell us a little bit about that. What was that process like? And, and how did you go to Quinn with the idea that this is the right way to go? Yeah, um, I'll just clarify. Quinn definitely was, was driving force. You know, it's not my story to tell. Um, they were ready to do it. They came to me with with the idea. I was in full support of it and just kind of helped craft what the post would say and, and edit it and whatnot. Um, but I think Instagram, especially in our age, our generation, millennials, Gen Z, it was kind of the obvious choice. It's where Quinn had most of their platform. And at the same time, you know, before this um, announcement, Quinn's platform has grown a lot from the announcement and beforehand, um, the decision to get in touch with, you know, some type of media outlet would have been a lot more daunting, I think. Um, so it's easier just to, to put that Instagram post out. You can control the narrative, what you want to say, rather than going through you know, a media outlet or a reporter and, and not sure how, how it will really come out. Um, so it's a great platform for athletes or for anyone to talk directly to their audience and to their fans and, and make sure that message comes across in the best way. And and uh, so Instagram from that sense seemed like the obvious choice and obviously was picked up by um, lots of outlets afterwards that asked for comments and interviews and it kind of blew up from there. But um, yeah, so really controlling that narrative I think was, was a key part of that uh, decision. Cool, and, and, and um, Quinn, I just wanted to ask one other question about the, the, the kind of twin dynamic. Um, what's been the, the biggest opportunity where Jillian's helped you? And where do you think that that this has been something that, as you've seen other athletes go through something similar that, uh, have you ever referred and said, uh, you know, 
this is this is my sister. This is what she's done for me. You should talk to her or um, have you seen other people kind of benefit? Because this is, it's such a unique relationship, I would think. Uh, and you had both a personal and professional, I, I don't want to call it an edge up, but it seems like you did in Jillian. How, how has that worked out for you? And how have you kind of communicated that to other people? Yeah, um, hmm, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I think Jill just like really embodies what an ally can be. Um, and I know she's taken up a role that I encourage, you know, some of my teammates to take up as well, is that mm. not having people in the LGBTQ community or trans folks having to be the one to narrate these conversations all the one time or like to take on the burden of having these educational conversations and whatnot. And I know specifically like in our realm, Jill has taken on those conversations and has helped educate the people around me so that I haven't had to take on that entire burden. And so I think that's hugely important. And it's something that I try and also encourage other folks, whether it's in my professional environment or on my team, um, to be advocates and allies in that sense as well. And so I think Jill's just done an incredible job and it's obviously like she feels passionate about social justice um, as a whole, not only with the LGBTQ community. And so she's, you know, having those conversations in all aspects of her life, which is really incredible to watch. Um, but yeah, I think that's, Mm -hmm. That's my answer for that. Hey, hey, Quinn, I saw that you were named um, to Forbes 30 under 30 for that uh, sports yeah. category. Congratulations mm -hmm. on that, by the way. That's amazing. Thanks. So you think about that's a high profile thing in our media world. Are, are there follow on opportunities to, to joining that elite group of young people who, who gain this kind of notoriety? Yeah, and I honestly didn't know when they had reached out to me what it would entail. I mean, I obviously thought that I was going to be in a magazine and that was super exciting for me. But um, yeah, it's been actually really nice to see that they do provide, you know, resources to connect, whether it's like a Forbes 30 under 30 Slack where everyone can get in contact with one another. And I think, you know, obviously other 30 under 30 um, award recipients are, are really passionate about connecting and growing that community. And so I think it's exciting to see um, being able to connect with folks, whether it's like the Canadian or the Toronto group, um, as well as also in the sports space. Like I know there's incredible folks in the WNBA, some of them I know already, um, but those are great connections to continue to grow. And as I said, like social justice related folks as well. There's a lot in that sports space for the Forbes 30 under 30. Um, cool. I, I have one more question and I, I'm sure Tom's got another one and Jillian, we want to have you kind of bring this all back. But um, one of the things I've, I've seen, especially as January has gone along, is that finally 2022 is going to be the year of, quote, women's sports. We're going to see more stories about athletes who can, can identify across the board. Um, for both of you, do, do you think we'll get to a point, uh, especially, Quinn, in your professional lifetime, uh, where you'll see athletes identified as athletes, not by gender? And I, I, it's always bothered me, and I know Jillian's heard me say this in class, but when, when you say, I prefer to say athletes who happen to be women versus women athletes, because the stories are what motivate us and that's what drives us. So do you see a time, and this is for both of you, like I said, somewhere in the near future, uh, or do you think we're going that way where people will view it as these are just incredible people, not whether they are, what their gender is? You're both I mean, 
<laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> I think the hope through all of this is that we're getting to that space. Um, you know, it still frustrates me that all the uh, female leagues have, have that W in them that, um, you know, the, the men's side don't have to identify in that way. And, and we got a long way to go. I feel like still with, with the, the female sports and, and getting that exposure and the media rights and being able to just turn on the TV and watching that WSL game. Um, and, you know, it, like you said, it is about the stories and about the people um, behind the labels. And so I really hope that we're going to get there sometime soon, but, but in the meantime, we all just have to keep pushing um, that, that narrative and hopefully it comes together. Hey, hey, Quinn, before you answer on your side, from a perspective, a soccer perspective, um, there's still a lot of problems going back and forth on the, the men's and women's teams, the national teams in Canada as well. So uh, do you think that'll help eventually when you kind of even the playing field on, on money and other things that people will just look at it as soccer players, not male soccer or female or female soccer players? Do you think that's realistic to see going forward? I mean, I think it is. I think I'm really hopeful. I'm going to try not to be pessimistic about it, but I think I am hopeful <laughs> for, for a future where that happens. Will it happen in the time of my professional career? I'm honestly not certain. Um, mm -hmm. I think there has been a lot of progress and I, I really want to acknowledge that. I think even seeing it from the marketing side, you know, the new investment that's happening in, in athletes who play in women's leagues, I think is really exciting. That being said, I know um, from my personal experiences, you know, being part of commissions and player associations that athletes are still clawing at trying to get the same standards as, you know, the male counterparts. And so I think it definitely is a bit of a grind, unfortunately. Um, and there still is pushback in those areas and we see it across the board. Um, but I do think there's a lot of progress happening. And I think when specifically talking about like the professional soccer league that I'm in, um, I think people are really hopeful and we reflect upon where the league has gone in the past five years. There's been so much progress and so much change. And so I think um, I can definitely envision a future where that, that just progresses to a point where it's no longer needs to be such a large conversation. Cool. Joe, my last question for Quinn is, should be hopefully a simple one, Quinn. Um, when your playing days are over, do you have any thoughts about what you may want to do professionally? We know you're not going to be a doctor, I guess. We, we've established that. Yeah, I'm obviously all over the place with it. I'm taking some undergrad classes right now that are in business. Um, Jill is, I think she'd say that she's also in those classes at this point. <laughs> she really helps me along with them. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I talked to my team doctor the other day and he was still pushing me to go to med school. So I think everything's on the right. table at this point, yeah. if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's cool. Well, good luck with it, whatever way it goes. Thanks. Jillian, last question. Um, where would you like to see Quinn's career go afterwards? If you were, you know, you've managed some of the things that she's done, especially on social, and you've been extremely important, and you're probably inside their head more than anybody. Um, where, where would you like to see it go, especially, you know, as they're still playing? I mean, what's the next step that you would like to see? Yeah, I mean, as the twin, I will say whatever makes them happy is obviously where I want 
it mm. to go. So, but um, I'll I'll add, you know, a, a lot of our conversations, um, especially since the Olympics and and since the announcement um, and everything that Quinn's been doing to grow their platform, um, they get a lot of brand requests now, a lot of interview requests. So we have a lot of conversations about you know aligning yourself with brands that are um, you know really true to you and that you believe in, not just kind of anyone under the sun. Um, and so that's a big st step, you know, right now in, in building their platform. And then post soccer, I mean, I find it hard to believe that they won't be in some type of activism setting, but um, we have a lot of conversations. We have two older siblings as well that are in, in other professions. So there's lots going on in the Quinn household and, and lots to be exposed to. So, you know, I'm, I don't know where they'll go. I think our mom pushes them towards law school sometimes. They, they have a little bit more time at least than the rest of us to kind of figure it out. Um, but you know, anything that's gonna, gonna make them happy. And I think making a difference, as they said, is, is gonna be instrumental to the rest of their life as well as mine and my professional career where I wanna go, I wanna be making a difference. So um, you know, wherever aligns with that and they're happy, I'll be happy. Great. You forgot to mention winning a World Cup. I don't know why that. Right. <laughs> let's let's set the bar really low by just doing that. Right. So, so. Hey, uh, Tom, you want to kind of uh, run both Quinn and Jillian through at least one of our two questions at the end that we always do, and then uh, we obviously want to know where people can, can learn more. Sure. Um, I think Jillian knows this, and she's a involved with our podcast. Um, but for both of you, um, we let ask every all of our guests two pretty simple questions. One is um, how they keep up in terms of consuming information, how they stay smart to do the things they need to do professionally. Uh, and secondly, can you offer some career advice, especially for the young people who mm -hmm. are listening to the show? Yeah, since I was a little more prepared for those, I'll, I'll take a stab. Um, okay. And then, then Quinn can think about it a little bit. Um, always staying up, obviously, you know, being in class every day, being in this program, I'm learning something new from, from everyone, um, you know, Joe instilled in me last semester. It's all about the newsletters and always be learning and always be reading. So I try to stay up with those as best I can um, in industry news. Um, but it's talking to people. I think it's connecting to people that keeps me the most informed and, and learning their individual things that they're following. Um, our, our program is incredible and there's a very diverse group of people, um, people from other countries, other parts of the world that are following different leagues and different issues that are going on. Um, so that really enables me to, to connect with them and to constantly be, be learning something new about a different space in a different corner of the world. Um, and the other, other part about advice, I think I would say the best advice I got during undergrad, it was during my uh, senior year in my advertising class, we had a speaker came in and said, no one ever starts where they want to end up. Um, and it really was keep an open mind to opportunities that come forward, especially when you're straight out undergrad or out of your grad um, opportunities. You know, you'll learn something from, maybe you'll learn what you don't want to do or learn a bit about what you do want to do, but be open to all opportunities that um, come your way and, and try to see the silver lining of them so you can constantly be learning about yourself and what you want to do and what's going to make you happy. Great. Now Quinn's on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> You said, how do you consume information for your career? Yeah. Um, I, watch a, I watch a lot of Premier League. No. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That's, that's part of your professional knowledge required. So. No, just kidding. Um, I definitely listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, 
plug here for the cusp show um no but i definitely listen to a lot of podcasts to stay up to date on information um i have a 45 minute commute every day so that's that's a really nice way um to get my news and whatnot um and i definitely think to add on to jill's point is just connecting with folks i know for the player organizations that i help run um and the athletes commission with the olympic team it's definitely connecting with other athletes um, and it's asking questions. I think that's like the most important thing for me is just communicating with other athletes, asking questions, um, being vulnerable in that way is really helpful. Um, and then advice that I would give to folks. I mean, I think for athletes that are coming up in the professional program, I know when, <laughs> when the sport becomes your job, it can be a little bit daunting at times. And so I think getting back to the enjoyment aspect and why you step on the pitch every day and it's finding joy in every single practice, um, I think is the most important thing. And then I think like just your trajectory isn't going to be linear. I know for me, I obviously like had a lot of hype um, going up through the program and then I got cut from the 2015 World Cup team. And that was just like a giant shock to my system. And so I think it's understanding that it's not going to be linear. There's going to be ups and downs, but um, yeah, it's just, it's a process and it's a ride that you just got to get on. Joy is a simple answer, I think too. And then, uh, Lastly, uh, Quinn, where can people learn more about your story? Where are you on social? And then Jillian, the same thing for you. I mean, uh, we want to make sure that people know, you know, how they can connect with, with both of you. Yeah, um, my Instagram is my biggest platform. It's at the Quinny Five. So follow along for my journey. I love posting stuff there. Uh, Jill? <laughs> And then watch the NWSL. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big club. Big plug. Watch the NWSL wherever you can and uh, the Canadian national team as well. Um, Instagram, LinkedIn. I mean, professionally, it's the easiest place to uh, to connect with me. I'm always happy to chat with whoever kind of falls into my inbox. Um, do a lot of chatting with prospective students to the program that want to learn more about the application process and stuff as well. So um, that's probably the easiest place. Jillian Quinn. Uh, Easy. It's spelled the way you think it is. Cool. Wow. Tom, any closing thoughts you want to wrap us up? That was great. I mean, well, no, I want to, I, I want to thank Quinn and, and Jillian for, for sharing all that. that was just fascinating. Um, really appreciate you guys taking time to share that, all that with us. Um, real, really wonderful conversation. Um, and Quinn, especially to you um, as, as a um, active competitive athlete, continued good luck and good, good fortune with, with your health and, and your progress um, as, as you continue to build your career. It's a, it's a great, it's a great story. I mean, to, to think of the accomplishments. I mean, as I'm, I'm, I was writing a bunch of notes and it's kind of stunning how much you've already accomplished and, and you're, I think you're only 26. So um, looking forward to all the stuff that lies ahead for you. Thanks. I appreciate it. And Jillian, you too, by the way. <laughs> well, definitely Jillian. She's a given because she's she's with us, Joe. She's she's on, she's, she's on the team. <laughs> well, uh, once again, uh, Jillian and Quinn, thanks for joining us. Uh, it was a learning experience. We, we try to learn. Tom and I try to learn something and take away something from every one of these. And I think, you know, the list is going to go on and on for for what we can take out of this. It was tremendous that, that you guys decided to join us together. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly going to be continuing to follow. And, and uh, as I've said so many times, when you get a little bit older in this business, you root for people versus teams. So 
I don't know if we'll root for the Canadian Olympic team. Uh, <laughs> right. Not But we know at least one other person we're going to be rooting for north of the border, and that's you, Quinn. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And Jillian, thanks for, for helping us put this together. It was, your, your input obviously was invaluable, and we learned even more about you know, your side of this journey as well. Cool. So, so uh, once again, I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up. So once again, you've been listening to The Cusp Show. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Uh, we will see you down the road.